Uh, welcome to our podcast. It's me and Dan. It's a mini-sode. It's a mini-sode. Uh, it's also just kind of a in-between-y-sode. Keep it going. You're going to be away when this comes out. I am going to be away. Very nice. So you didn't see anything new this week is what you're telling me. I didn't see anything new in the theater. I did stream one thing. Okay. What did you see? I saw The Farewell on Tuesday night. And as as indicated by every possible outlet, it is a delight. It's the kind of movie you love to see. It was moving and funny and it was great. And uh, But it also made me nostalgic because it did remind me of my Nana and my family uh, down in New York City when I was a little kid. Yeah, it's such a great movie, and it, there's such an ease to it. I feel like yeah. I see so many movies that aren't good, but I think, okay, whatever. It's a movie, and I and I didn't really pay for it, but for a subscription. And then you see something like this, and you're like, wow, that that is what a good movie is. Yeah. I don't usually think in this way, but it occurred to me after I saw it that I probably just saw one of the, one of the 10, right? Like, Oh, for sure. That, I mean, whatever the it factor is, um, that movie has it. I think that that will make it in easily because people go by first place. Those nominations go by first place votes. You need to get a lot of people to vote for you in first place. And I could see Mm -hmm. a lot of people voting for a movie like that in first place. Yeah. Aquafina, Awards buzz? I don't know. What do you think? I I feel like she gives a really good crossover performance that's solid. I could see her being among the five. I yeah. don't see that as being like a oh she's winning this performance. There, there isn't enough to it. It's no insult to her that I'm that I say she doesn't make the movie. Right. I think the the filmmaking and the whole ensemble and the, the vision of it makes it makes the movie. But she's great and surprisingly great. Because she just in other movies, she's just shown up and and been you know sassy and sarcastic, and here she like does a a very deep and full performance. I yeah, I felt she found a way to bring the Aquafina that everyone knows and loves to the table, and then expanding up on that to bring yeah. stuff we haven't seen yet. I actually had a, a the the trailer for this, which I you know I end up seeing trailers dozens of times it feels like the first couple times i saw this one i didn't i didn't it didn't excite me i thought that she was going to be annoying in it but mm. i think it was because i was bringing her comedy baggage into this and i thought it would just be like her attitude versus tradition like and it's a lot more sweet and real than that but that happens to me a lot i hated the trailer for fighting with my family and then i adored that movie hmm yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I must have seen this trailer. I I don't really watch trailers except when I'm in a theater and forced to watch trailers. Yeah. I feel like I was drawn to this one because it just had an incredible buzz from whomever saw it first. I just was hearing over and over how good this one was. Mm-hmm. Um, and incidentally, you know the movie upcoming, I think it might even be released someplace as Loose? Yeah. Is that how you say it? Uh, yes. Yeah. There are actually two movies. One is L U Z loose in Spanish. Okay, right. And the other one's loose with C E. But I think that's right. the one you, with Tim Roth and Right. So Loose has been getting off the charts buzz on my Twitter feed. People huh. who have seen it are calling it the best thing that they've seen all year. It is challenging and amazing. And I, I couldn't wait to see it. And then on Ebert, 
it got yeah, like a star and a half <laughs> or something. <Yeah. laughs> like they really hated it, and that surprised me. I mean, they compared it to Crash. Right. I oh, saw no. that. I point bring that to your attention. Uh, yeah, that is strange. That seems to, but that does seem to be. I don't know if it's the lone dissenting voice, but everywhere else, this is being hailed as provocative. And but I guess when a movie goes out there, when it takes a, a swing like that, if it rubs you the wrong way, it's really going to rub you the wrong way. Yeah, there's some. It's divisive. It sounds like, and from the um, Ebert reviewer. They said like Crash, the way it's like Crash, is that it sets you up and takes you on this journey to think and feel one way. And then it pulls the rug. Oh, ha ha. See you. You thought that you're a racist. Right. <laughs> yeah. But but they it was like entrapment. <laughs> they, right. they sent you down that road to have those feelings. Yeah. It's not that you came into the theater with them necessarily. But who knows? This is a movie I've not seen. So I will keep yeah. an open mind. But I was just really surprised by that review when so much of the pre-release conversation had been so overwhelmingly positive. Right. I'll probably see it. It looks like the kind of thing I'd like to see. It's a little overwrought. seems a little over serious, but uh, certainly looks interesting. Yeah. I mean, Octavia Spencer is having quite a year. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What did you stream? I streamed some guy who kills people. Oh yeah. You mentioned that to me. And what a weird movie this was. It's exactly, I mean, the title is perfect. It's about some guy who kills people. He has been released from a mental institution and come back to his town where he grew up and he's got a job at the local diner. And we see flashbacks of how these street toughs terrorized him on one fateful night and I guess drove him mad. And um, he finds out he has a daughter that he left behind who I, I think he knew about her. I don't remember. But anyway, she's now uh, quite precocious and wants to meet her dad um, pretty much through with her mom, who has a new man in her life who is a devoted Christian and makes life um, insufferable. And the the main guy, uh, Ken is his name. I don't know anybody's name. Just systematically murders everyone from the night of torture in terrible ways, um, rather indiscriminately. You know, oh, I, I, there's that person. They were there. I'm just going to follow them with a hatchet and kill them horribly in the street. And there are a couple of doofy uh, sheriffs who are trying to get to the bottom of the story. And it's silly and dark. And it wasn't bad to have on in the background. It wasn't like it was making all sorts of missteps. But it, it also, to me, wasn't very inspired or creative. And in the end, it really was just some guy who kills people. Hmm. It's intriguing. I remember hearing about it and that it was very strange. Yeah, there were weird race themes in it. Um, they they weren't overt. Most of the characters are white, but the man who owns the diner where he works is black, and he calls everybody boy when he's being derogatory toward them. And I thought that was kind of a strange thing. And but maybe sometimes just people call people boy. But yeah. then they um, made some racial remarks toward him that weren't explored. And I, and I, that made the boy feel all the more uncomfortable in that situation. And I didn't know what the writer was trying to do with that. Hmm. Curious. The title reminds me of another movie. I had it initially confused with another movie called uh, John Dies at the End. Hmm. 
which is based on a book by the same name. And it's the same kind of just a weird takes place in a, in a movie universe, unlike anything you've seen before. Mm -hmm. So is that, is that a recommendation? Not really. <laughs> if, uh, I mean, it is free. <laughs> so if you're looking for something that is very weird and not a bad watch for weirdness, um, go for it. If you're looking for a good movie to enjoy with your loved ones, skip it. Right. <laughs> Mom, dad, I brought a movie. Right. Uh, I saw once upon a time again. Oh, last night and we were late with our discussion and I'm even more late with my follow-up, but I do have, I do have thoughts cause I watched it again okay. and I like rolled around in it. I really enjoyed it. Um, but I, I had, I have some things to say follow-ups. So it's great. It's up there with, with the farewell. It's good. It's a top 10 for Absolutely me for the is. year. Absolutely. It's delightful. The performances are great. I made sure to pay closer attention to certain things and connections and picked up things I didn't notice the first time. And I paid attention during. So I want to address some of the specific criticisms again after watching it again. First of all, one of the things that I heard, and I just kind of took this at face value, was that in the end, when Brad Pitt dispatches with the three kids, that there's much more time spent reveling in the death of the girls than there is of the boy of Tex. And that's just not true. I paid attention to that last night. And there's like, I don't know if I didn't time the shots, but there's, you know, there's so much that happens to each of them. And I, I just think you had have to be looking for disparity and looking for some kind of inequity to come away with that feeling. Oh, and the other thing was just the Bruce Lee business. I think you come away from the movie after one viewing with the impression that the movie really made fun of Bruce Lee and made him look like an idiot and degraded this historical beloved figure just to prop up its movie character and watching it again. I didn't, I didn't feel like that was the case either because yeah, he's posturing and he's being obnoxious, but that's, that was what that's him. That's what he did. And then I noticed that the movie leaves the little contest between him and cliff unfinished and they each get one knockdown so if you were like a bruce lee stan you could still insist that he would have won if they'd continued i don't think that that's the movie's perspective necessarily but also the movie bruce lee shows up two more times in the film you know as a uh trainer and uh friend to uh jay sibring at one point and uh sharon tate at another point hmm. i just wanted to no it doesn't matter it's not like a civil war happening over bruce lee but i just paid attention to these things specifically yeah that's interesting to hear on a rewatch i'll probably yeah. go see it again too sometime there's so much in it that of course you know rewatching it is just kind of like rediscovering so much yeah i think that's the obvious uh best picture nominee i think tarantino's in for directing and writing and this depending on how the rest of the season goes i think it could finally be his year because mm -hmm. people it's are a, loving this yeah, like Academy screenings, they're turning people away. Hmm. Um, and usually they have space to spare when just on a random day they open a theater and say, Academy, come. And the Academy can't be bothered to leave their homes. They just want to watch their screeners, but people want to go to this in a movie and they're excited about it. Because yeah. there aren't big adult event movies anymore right. that aren't, you know, Avengers or something like that. Um, right. That you can like go to the theater. Be. Yeah, and that there's some controversy in them it, it, you know it's it's artistic it tries to tell a truth big stars 
um, a, a really iconic part of history that a lot of people can relate to that those movies just are, are not there. Yeah. Disappointing number of people came into the theater late last night and missed mm -hmm. the, uh, the flamethrower scene at the beginning of the movie. Oh, and all I could bad. think was, you guys are going to think that's completely <laughs> random and silly yeah. when you get to the end of the movie. Show up on time. The worst take that I've seen on Twitter of uh, <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You have your was, pick. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, was that this is a pro-woman movie because Charles Manson raised up women to thrive in the oh, male-dominated field of assault oh, no. and murder. Oh, no. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with that take. <laughs> That's an interesting contrarian take. <laughs> Who's this person? Who did this? Who's, who sat down and, uh, and decided <laughs> to pen that and click share? Wow. I did think a little more about um, my own discomfort with the ending. And I, I kind of thought, you know, because I was instantly told after I saw it by film Twitter and everyone that this is a misogynist ending and it's the worst part of Tarantino coming out. And I was kind of like, well, maybe that's what made me uncomfortable, but seeing it again and thinking about it, this is what I think does make me a little queasy about the ending. And I have to talk about star Wars for just a moment. Um, bear with me when JJ Abrams took over star Wars with these recent, you know, Disney incarnations, he did something very kind of like next level with the franchise in that one of the first things he does, he takes a stormtrooper, takes off the helmet and you see that it's just a kid who was brainwashed. He kind of humanizes these characters that are just gun fodder. You know, they're just the bad guys that get blown right. up indiscriminately. But then now that he's done that, he, he introduces this character who's a sympathetic stormtrooper who, who goes to the other side he goes then with the good guys and they just keep blowing up stormtroopers as if now I know that those are real people. Um, it doesn't matter. And I, and this is a really long walk just to say that talk about once upon a time in Hollywood, but I feel like he didn't make the Manson girls sympathetic so much as he just made them real. They're just kids who got kind of misled and brainwashed and caught up in this crazy thing. And so I think, that's why I didn't enjoy, I totally like the ending and I like the fact that Cliff gets a chance to be a badass and that they save the people next door and all that. I, I did feel like the violence, I didn't feel it was in, in, in inordinately aimed against women. I just felt like I didn't love seeing these kids die horribly. Um, I liked seeing them get stopped, but I don't mm -hmm. know. That was just how I was processing my feelings about the ending. Yeah, my contrarian take for sure is that those characters are icons of the uh, boogeymen in our world that actually scare us. And there's some satisfaction in seeing them defeated mm -hmm. um, in such a definite way. Sure. And yeah. um, it gives a, a fairy tale ending for all the people next door, a fairy tale ending for the two stars. And yeah. everyone knows that's not what's real. And so that's that's the bittersweetness and yeah. the in the loveliness of the ending. When Sharon Tate and the last shot of them going in for a drink, she comes out and she's wearing like a jersey. I just took note of what they were wearing because I don't know this for sure, but I know that Tarantino is big on authenticity and I'm guessing they're wearing the clothes 
that they would have been wearing in crime scene photos. Mm. And that made me emotional and and like, it's weird. It's like a bittersweet, warm and cold feeling. Uh, It it just made it kind of hit me in a way that it didn't last time when I had that thought. It's a very, I mean, it's a very human story throughout. I think that even the minor characters and the extras are well realized to seem like real people. I was reading someone was saying that sequence with uh, Brad Pitt at the uh, ranch um, could have been a short film in itself. Yeah, and it, and it totally could have been out completely out of context. Just him arriving, having the confrontations, going into the house, and the thing with the horses and the tour, yeah. <laughs> and then him driving away. That that could be a standalone short film. Yeah, it's gripping. And even on second viewing, when I knew what was going to happen it's completely effective. And there's also the glee of knowing all the people in the theater. You're probably seeing it for the first time. Yeah. It's it's so tense. It's genius. Yeah. Yeah. And something I like about, this is something I like about uh, Tarantino that I also like about Stephen King. And I don't know if I can articulate it on the fly very well. I'm not really good at that, but they're not afraid to write people like people like Quentin Tarantino is considered this badass auteur and Stephen King is considered this master of horror but they both write they're not afraid to write characters who tell cheesy dumb jokes or talk like people talk or you know listening along with the radio or whatever like there's really something to be said for human characters and then you can put them in any kind of screwed up situation you want Um, whereas most writers just try and write attitude into their characters as opposed to humanity uh, it's something I appreciate. Yeah. I mean, King, especially it's not about the scares really, or the horrifying situations. It's that you're identifying with very real and uh, real seeming people that you empathize with in those situations that, that he's so effective. Yeah. And it, and it's something that films of King's work almost never successfully adapt. Right. So maybe Tarantino should adapt a King book. <laughs> that, I guess I think done- that, They'd be a good uh, partnership for sure. Yeah. All right, Dan. Well, we got 20 minutes out of that segment. (laughs) That's pretty good. That's not bad. Take a little break, and then we'll talk about a film. Welcome back, Dan and Josh. Uh, Dan, take us to the wacky, wonderful world of Little Children. Little Children is from 2006, an American drama film directed by Todd Field, based on a novel. I had such affection for this movie for some reason, not for the movie itself, but for the idea of it. I think that we'd come off of American Beauty at the end of the last decade, and a, a dark domestic drama with uh, interesting looking actors that looked like it had signs of menace and thrill and introspection. Those those all would have been my jam back in 2006. So the plot is that Kate Winslet plays Sarah Pierce, who is a generally unhappy young mother she had given up her education after her master's degree, given, you know, stopped her um, doctoral studies in English literature to raise their daughter. 
And she's pretty unhappy with that. She doesn't like being alongside the moms at the park. But one piece of interest for all the mothers who show up there every day is Patrick Wilson, who is named Brad. And he is a sexy man of their fantasies. And on a bet, Kate Winslet goes and talks to him and they form a friendship. And the friendship turns to an affair. Both of these uh, people are married to other people, have young children. And meanwhile, there is a man, I forget his whole name, looked on the cast list here. Ronnie? Yeah, Ronnie, James McGorvey, who is a registered sex offender who moves in with his mom in their community, much to everyone's fear and consternation. And Noah Emmerich, I totally forgot he was in this, plays Mm. a uh, former cop who harasses Ronnie and vandalizes his mother's house and is handing out flyers and stirring up fear about his presence. And Brad gets involved in a football league with Larry, that's Emmerich, and the plot just gets crazier and crazier um, until finally uh, it seems that Sarah and Brad might run away together. And uh, that doesn't ultimately happen. What exactly the ending with uh, Ronnie meant, I'm not totally sure. We'll talk about that. But he doesn't come to the happiest of ends. And they're, they try to show some redemption with Larry, but I'm not sure if there was actual redemption there. And it was a pretty downer ending of a movie. I didn't really remember how it ended. I may or may not have seen this movie. It's not. This is one of our most recent movies. So I remember being very aware of this movie. Uh, my wife informed me that she rented it or watched it at some point, and she really hated it. I um, was aware of it, knew that it was really sexy and, and dark and dangerous, and that it didn't get a whole lot of traction. Uh, Roger Ebert didn't much care for it. I had forgotten that this director also made in the bedroom, which I actually, and mm. I haven't revisited it in many years, but it, I remember thinking that was a great drama, uh, another downer, but not as, uh, I don't think as out there as this one is. That's true. Um, so one thing that I noticed, cause I looked up the novel and the plot is very similar throughout, except at the end when, um, Sarah encounters Ronnie in the park. He reveals to her that he has killed a girl. And that's how the book ends. Hmm. I thought, so they came up with (laughs) their film ending (laughs) on their own. Which (laughs) a little more going on. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which, which was interesting. So I like to talk through the characters because that's a good way for me to organize a conversation on movies I've found. So let's talk about Kate Winslet's character, Sarah. What was your take on her? Do you do you find her to be uh, heroic and commendable or completely lost or what? Well, I guess to answer that, I need to comment on, on a little broader level on the whole movie in that I really found the movie to be a mix of tones. So I guess that is to say... I found it a bit jumbled and I found her character a bit jumbled. Sometimes it feels like she's smart, the smartest one in the room and that she's got a handle on things and that she just doesn't belong in this world and that's why she's grumpy. But other times it seems like she's just an awful person 
who's not very sympathetic. And uh, I certainly didn't find myself rooting for her to make it or to be redeemed. And I, I, given the movie's themes, I really didn't think it was heading in either of those directions. Um, so I was kind of surprised not to jump to ending talk, but um, so I guess I was a little all over the map with her character. I liked her at first. She, when she, I mean, I didn't like her at first because she's, a, she's obviously a terrible parent. She's snarky, but I did find the playground scene and the kiss and the lady's reaction to that to be a genuinely hilarious moment. But there's other things in this movie that I feel like are wacky hilarious or that's not a great answer to your question because I'm commenting on the, the broader film. But No, it's a perfect answer. <laughs> I, I feel confused by her character. In a sense, we're supposed to look at her as different from the other playground moms, that they are all very perfect and trying to project an image of uh, being super moms or something. And she just, she's the mom who just can't do that. She's the mom who keeps it real and who doesn't have it together. And her hair is a little messy and she sits apart from them and she forgot the snack. And it doesn't mean that she's a terrible mother, of course, that she didn't bring a snack, but she does seem pretty miserable in her life. Um, Greg Edelman plays her husband, Richard. I know him more as a theater actor. And I felt that his plot point of, you know, looking after slutty K, et cetera, mm -hmm. is just a setup to um, allow the audience to excuse her bad behavior toward him. Yeah. You know, okay, so... He's the only character who doesn't get a follow-up of any kind. Right. What is his story? Their relationship seems to be garbage. And you walked in on him while he was enjoying these photographs of this woman, if that's a huge problem for you, that's something to discuss because it seems like they aren't very open with one another. And that's a moment of vulnerability where you caught him and he's probably humiliated. So there's an opportunity to talk about your relationship, but rather than do that, she thinks that that will be her excuse, I guess, to begin an affair. Yeah. Um, though that wasn't her, her, um, choice right there right right at the time i thought that the book club scene spoke to her character a little bit when they're talking about um madame bovary and the way she's a feminist in uh, sarah's reading is her hunger that even though she can't get out of her terrible life the fact that she wants to is her power and that's all i can see happening with with winslet in this movie that it can't go anywhere but she has yearnings and right. I mean, they'll tell you, they'll tear you apart or you'll suffocate them. So they die for lack of air. But, um, yeah. she lives in a constant state of yearning and dissatisfaction. I've tried long and hard since watching this the other night to think about the meaning of literature in this movie, because it's obviously important. It's based on a book. The main character has a degree in literature and goes to a book club and talks mm -hmm. about a, a book and it has narration, which is very strange and very literary because it's, it's not narration telling you what happened. It's telling you what people feel, which is not what narration usually does. And you don't really need narration to do that in a movie. So instead of just saying, oh, that's stupid. That's a dumb choice. I want, I was really trying to rack my brain and say, why, 
what is this movie trying to say about the relationship between literature and the way people's feelings and lives work in literature and the the story of this film and i came up with nothing but maybe i was giving it a little too much credit but that could be i that's a really good observation i hadn't thought of that because we can talk about the narrator as a character i thought that was so unnecessary throughout um i, I was thinking maybe think of the lobster which is a great movie with narration mm-hmm. where the narration works wonderfully it sets the tone and the narrator is truly their own character commenting on the action but this narrator you're right it's it's a literary narrator where you're hearing about backstory you're hearing about inner life and inner dialogue and i was thinking what a more gentle quiet lovely movie would this have been if just all of those details that weren't really important to the plot were left out and we didn't have this track of talking what if the performances could handle the emotions that the narrator is describing um, because the narrator didn't put together big gaps in story or anything. It was just right. someone giving extra knowledge. And it went away watching. for long stretches of time yes. and then came back a little bit. So there obviously must have been something intentional in the way it was used, but I didn't. Again, it speaks to my, my not really being able to get a, gr- a grasp on what this movie wants to even be. Is it a searing drama with deep characters? Is it a satire? It seems like so there's moments that I think are genuinely funny. Then there's the football scenes. We'll get to to Brad soon, I guess. Mm -hmm. But some of those football scenes are directed like a Will Ferrell movie. Yes. They're wacky. Yeah. Yeah, The the tone is uh, is an interesting thing in this movie. I don't hate this movie. I'm very confounded by it. There's some things in it that I think are salvageable and interesting and maybe even a little bit of message that I, I, I think I at least get. But I am I am largely baffled by the movie. Yeah, I think that it wasn't a great novel to adapt, perhaps. I mm. think that the, the screenplay left some stuff to be desired. I feel like the narration, though this is a movie that has literary themes, and narration, as you say, is for literature, so maybe that's what that's about. It can also be for lazy screenwriting when you're trying to adapt a novel and you kind of liked the stuff that was in the novel, and here's how to get it in, since it actually is narration. And the novelist, I believe, co-wrote the screenplay with the director. Yeah, so that makes a little that makes some sense. It doesn't mean I like it, but yeah. that may be why they did it. I can imagine the novel being much easier to read because you've got the title "Little Children," and clearly everybody in this story has some arrested development and is incredibly immature. And they're mostly acting like children. And when you read that on a page, you can recognize that and kind of smirk and have that be funny and interesting. When you're watching actual flesh and blood adults act this way, it's off-putting and yeah. kind of an, kind of annoying. Yeah. And if we want to move on to Brad next, yeah. I think that gets kind of to the heart of all that. Um, because I think, I think um, well, we might have different takes on, on what's his name? Patrick? What the actor's name? Of, of course, Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson. He's not, sorry. He, he's not your matinee fantasy. I see. No, he's not. He's not for, for I, like two decades. <laughs> I actually see him, and I'm sorry, but uh, I, I don't dislike him too much. But I do see him as kind of a blank slate. He's an actor who's very hard to read, and in a movie like this, I think Kate Winslet is a little better at broadcasting in her life 
Whereas he just kind of, and that maybe that's also just his character. Maybe I'm just seeing his, cause his character is the ex football guy who kind of goes with it. And his little episode at the end with the skateboarders is so, I'm guessing that's not in the novel. I mean, I don't, I know you it is, novel, it is, it is, um, it make more sense in the novel. Well, I, here was why that was curious to me. I thought that they were going with the theme of the title, that that's exactly what a young child would do on the way to something important getting sidetracked by this thing that they've always wanted to be a part of and never been included. But this time they're included and now we're going to do it. And that's very immature of him. At the same time, he's, they show him sneaking out of his house away from his wife and mother-in-law and that he was holding that note. But then he knew that he didn't leave the note because he had it in the end. So there was no sneaking around. He was just trying to sneak out of the house, but not to leave. Right. He'd already decided he wasn't going to leave. And then he hurts himself and he says, get rid of this letter for me. And So that wasn't a misadventure. That was him sabotaging himself because he knew yes. he didn't want to go through with it. I mean, I don't know that he wanted to injure himself, but did he plan on meeting Sarah at the park? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And that's a major thing. You're, we're going to leave together tonight and give up our lives and you don't get back to the person. You just change your mind. That was very strange. I guess he just wanted to keep being like a child following those pursuits. Does the movie think it would have been ultimately an adult decision to step out of a life that he wasn't happy in, Um, even though really that would be the most capricious thing of all? Right. And that's why I I find the ending so strange is that I I was genuinely surprised that it it even took the time to show them back with their families making a go of it because that just didn't feel to me like what this movie was. I didn't want to see them run away together. I I wasn't rooting for them in that way either. It just seemed to me like this movie had things to say. I felt I feel like here's I guess I have to give another take on 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 theme at this point. And I'm sorry, we're all over the place. We're probably not done talking about Brad, but I'm gonna talk about Ronnie a little bit. He, I felt like this for a while, and then the movie pretty much explicitly does this through the Larry subplot. I feel like what the movie is saying on one big level is this guy has a very specific type of mental disorder that we all agree is bad, and it led him to do something that everybody agrees is is bad in a concrete way. So he's a pariah. He, he let's put up posters. Let's quarantine him. Let's. But at the same time. Every other character in this movie has some kind of a of a of a, of a mental illness right. that causes them to make constant choices which endanger children, which harm children. You know, so there's the there's the one level that they are the little children, but then there's the other sense in which every adult is a danger to children. Yes. but some of them are just normal crazy. Right. Uh, I'm, not, so, I'm not sure what <laughs> I'm not sure what um, what moral lesson we can draw from that insight. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and and that makes me not even less interested in seeing these characters redeemed or, or ba- happy at the end. I didn't want to see them unhappy. I'm just saying, like, I, I don't know what this movie's trying to dish up in the end, in the big picture. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you about, um, about Brad as a character, who's named Todd in the book, by the way. I guess that's not a sexy enough hmm. name. Um, so he's Brad. Um, Patrick Wilson, he's pretty... I, I don't know how that will age, you know, as it gets older i would imagine if the movie were made today like you'd want someone like army hammer in the role or uh mm-hmm. would would be good um but I, hey i i liked uh patrick wilson he makes he continues to make me happy in this movie and the movie is so flawed that 
I don't know that he can mess it up. I certainly don't blame him either. No, 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 no. What was your take on the football team and the football games? What did that mean? Yeah, I was so baffled by the by the style of it, by the 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 tone. Is it comedy? Are they to be threatening? Is this toxic masculinity? Is there an underlying homoeroticism? I, I was the above probably yeah. that he's with this group of of men who are all like reveling and 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 lingering in this kind of macho. But I don't know. I guess that's just another way in which adults are little children. Is that is that as far as the commentary goes? I guess so. Why? But why is that bad? That you want to enjoy some recreation in the evening as an adult because that's fun for you. That's great. But we didn't really get to know any of the people who were on right. the team. And am I? I'm having trouble remembering. Are they all ex cops? Well, no, because Brad's not an ex cop. But yeah, one I of the teams like, is mostly ex cops, right? And they invited. I, Brad yeah, I felt like they were mostly had some law enforcement history. And the other team was um, some other kind of of right. public servants or something, right? Yeah, I so don't let's know. Talk, let's talk about uh, Noah Emmerich, who is. I think he's just great. I I like him in uh, Truman Show, and mm-hmm. of course he's a principal on the Americans. Hmm. that he's probably most famous for yeah he's great there he's he's natural and he plays that guy <laughs> right that, that everybody knows someone like that who's just that guy um i think that he hit the tone just right and i think he knew that what was wrong with the movie and he mm-hmm. just went for it but took a barrel over the falls yeah um yeah. he he most resembled a young child in the yeah. way he would get angry in the way he would sulk and the way that he was so disappointed when Brad didn't show up at the bar where he had like two shots sitting out, you know, like a child might, you know, set everything up and then be so upset when their friend can't come. And he spends Um, a lot of time behind the wheel of a car complaining and man, damn it. Right, 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 right. Um, I, I mean, I didn't like his character, but his characterization of that worked for me. I did not understand the ending with him. And his character, like the fact that his backstory is that he is a disgraced cop who shot a black child. Right. That That is something that, of course, is a serious thing then. But in today's cultural conversation, that would mean something completely different yeah. to have that happen in a white people movie. Right, right. I felt like he had some of the worst written scenes, but played them great. Yeah. Like the stuff with him... And Ronnie and his mom in the house, to me, was so histrionic and over the top and obvious. Like, that's one of those things that the, the audience gets it before it even plays out. Like, yeah. I get what you're doing. You're saying, you know, he hates this guy, but he's just projecting. And I thought that was ha- ham fisted. And then in the end, when he shows up to Ronnie's house, like, I felt like all the, the ending needed to be rewritten. It's not very satisfying because I don't know exactly what happened. Right. It was a little confusing what happened. I mean, he freaks out and how how he was responsible for killing the mother i'm not totally sure did he did he hit her he like yeah i think he just pushed her to the ground or something or did she just fall i don't even remember she just fell maybe or i don't know he was just you know making trouble right she had a heart attack or whatever right or right so he he was the without his um being there probably she would have survived the night you know yeah. Um let's talk about um May McGorvey and Ronnie McGorvey. I thought these two actors were great. Yeah. 
Um, and I liked their scenes together. I liked her sadness and almost desperation trying to pair him off and to make him be good. It seemed to me that in most every way he was good. <laughs> yeah. He, you know, he, he, he was kind and, and caring and he was very aware of his problem. Yeah. He didn't make uh, excuses for himself. He, he was aware of his failing. Right. She's trying to pair him up and he was like, I don't want a girlfriend my own age. And he seems like he's very open um, with his being a pedophile in front of his mother. And um, the movie presents that very matter of fact, which which was interesting to me. Yeah. His casting is so, uh, I mean, congratulations, you look like a pedophile, but like right. he's perfect casting to be the creepy sex offender. But to me, that almost set up an expectation that there was going to be some other layer, that there was going to, that the movie was going to challenge me in some way. And I guess you could say it does in the frankness and the way he is kind of self-possessed as this pedophile. But as far as the theme though, I'm not sure what I take away from this man just, you know, being himself. It's tragic. I, yeah. This is some, this is something that I'm sure I've changed my tune on since I've, since I first saw it in 2006, I felt like the screenplay was almost, defending pedophiles and sexual assault and drawing moral equivalence between things that are not or in no way moral equivalents. What he did and what I, Larry did? Well, let, no, I, like um, Kate Winslet at one point is just kind of like, well, maybe your brother should be castrated, defending the idea that when a girl says, oh, my brother used to like flash himself to me or something. And she mm -hmm. and so she's kind of being like, well, isn't that just all that this man did? Was just like flash himself to a young girl, right? And I was just like, what are you saying? That's you know, I'm not defending thing. the brother's Sorry. behavior. Yeah, I'm yeah. not defending the brother's behavior, but the I shouldn't say and because but undoes what I just said. So I guess I am defending a little bit that when you your siblings as young children and you're being stupid and naked running around the house. That is not the same as an adult man exposing himself on the street to a child who is a stranger to him. Right. That's not the same thing. Yeah. And it's not that, uh, oh, I made a mistake that one time. We'll get to the date in a moment. But clearly, this this man has a real uh, penchant and drive and really toxic desire to violate people sexually. Another baffling element of um, Sarah's character is how she seems for a while to be the only person in the film with a modicum of empathy for him, but that doesn't go anywhere either. Right. Well, I mean, that, to me, that goes along the same thread as her defending him to those moms when they're at the pool. That's a creepy scene. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's a well-made scene and uh, well done by uh, by Haley. But and it's kind of funny how everyone flips out. You know, all the helicopter parents and that the whole pool clears right. and you know the police are there in two seconds and that they cheer and yeah, that, at the end right and it's humiliating and at the same time i'm just saying you are a sex offender for a sex offense a recent one and you may not be where children gather you may not come into the pool with your mask and watch the children swimming underwater that is actually creepy yeah. It doesn't mean that you can't live your life or have a job or you know have friends and enjoy yourself and um but you can't but you can't do this. That wasn't okay and I feel like the movie was trying to make us feel sorry for him 
that it turned out that way, that he was humiliated for doing something that he just knew he should not have been doing. Mm -hmm. He was up to no good. Yeah, his presence in the film feels like it's something to stick in our face as an audience, either for sensationalism or to dare us to feel something. Or So in the end, uh, he castrates himself. Yeah. And Larry's going to take care of him. They're going to be buds. They're going to shack up and, and he's going to keep him like he's going to take over the mother role. Like, I don't get what the meaning of that was. I felt like the last act was trying to be American Beauty in a, in a way mm-hmm. where American Beauty to me has a masterful third act of this night where everything is unraveling and there are mistakes made and people misunderstand things and the intensity escalates and it's to me exhilarating and thrilling um, how that all plays out and it comes to a climax that I think is satisfying and emotionally resonant. This It's like we want weird things to happen in the dark and one thing to lead to another and strange encounters between the characters. But this came to nothing. I have no clue what it meant that Kate Winslet's in a park at night with a pedophile who's bleeding on a swing and she feels sorry for him after being scared. But then she's lost her own child. Right. So what are they trying to say? That like, oh, she's actually endangered the child more than that man could. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is he trying to be a good boy? Will that stop his behavior if he no longer has urges coming from his middle? I don't know that it necessarily will. If there's any um, power yeah. or um, assertion of dominance that's in this, that is a mind thing. Right. And then no Emmerich shows up there. What he feels badly that his tantrum on the lawn led to his mother's death. And so now I'm going to mother you by, I see you're bleeding. I'll take you to the hospital and help you out. And that's how I can redeem myself for having just killed your mother. You know, this is after killing a a child as a cop. Who is this terrible person? Right. And it feels, yeah, I, I agree with you that this feels like it wants to be, you know, Magnolia, American Beauty. It wants mm-hmm. to be an ensemble movie where everything comes into a swirling crescendo at the end and the characters are all mixed up and, and things are revealed and whatever. And it just feels like a, a grab bag. It feels like just, I don't know, this maybe this. Or it means something to the writer and it doesn't translate. What did you make of the date that Ronnie went on? Jane Adams playing his date. Yeah. Jane Adams was in so many movies around that time. And I, she brings such a great, like nervous, low yeah. self-esteem character. I mean, that kind of a scene is a lovable loser scene. Yeah. And it, it feels like it, it positions him. And now the movie does deflate that with his behavior after the date, but it feels almost like, well, he's, he's a good guy with a good heart. And that's pro- you know, there are aspects of a pedophile's character that you would not find objectionable. But again, it feels like it's, I don't know the movie's intentions. I don't either because he knows himself. That's clear. He's going to go along with his mom's wishes, take this woman out. And it's not like he shuts her out just because he's not interested. He still treats her with kindness and he listens to what she says. And she actually ends up revealing a lot about herself over the course of the dinner he makes some kind remarks to her about her when she puts herself down. 
and they go on a drive and she's driving and it seems like everything's going great. So the movie has generated goodwill of the audience. There's a warm feeling about this, that this woman who gets stood up and rejected and can't find anybody maybe has found uh, a person that she can confide in and have a relationship with uh, only to have that just be shattered in the worst way, especially after she has shared that she herself had been assaulted before. Right. And not to get too nuts and bolts with it, but I'm guessing that he wouldn't be sexually attracted to her. So it seems like he no. just decided to end this. Well, he had her drive them to a playground and he's mm. like looking over the oh, okay. fence of a that. playground and so that he can be gratified because that's what he wants. And so he had, either he's trying to sabotage this but that itself was a sexual assault. Yeah. And then where 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 does that leave her? Just shattered and out of the movie. Right. He he's terrible. That was yeah. terrible. And yet everything in the construction of the movie and the and the storytelling of the movie feels like he is positioned to be an empathetic character. Right. They because they're defending him throughout, you want and I was just trying to cool off. You wonder if the movie is trying to say hey, the guy that everyone's so scared of is actually the most moral best guy in the film. He's not. No. I I didn't understand the relationship of his storyline to the other storyline from a literary perspective. They can totally be taking place in the same town, but neither story needed the other. Right, yeah. They don't come together at all. Yeah, I agree. Uh, one character that we didn't talk about is Jennifer Connelly. She doesn't have a whole lot to do. Did you feel like Jennifer Connelly was a pretty empty character who was only there to kind of justify Brad's wandering eyes in the way that uh, Sarah's husband was? I felt that she was given more to do than Sarah's husband was. I feel like she seemed like a she was a more sympathetic character to me, though we didn't really get to see any of her inner life. I didn't understand why they were destitute, <laughs> why uh, um, a couple subscriptions are going to break the bank that he needs to go be a lawyer in order for them to get on their feet financially, why he can't afford a cell phone. I know it's 2006, but cell phones were a thing. I think most people had them at yeah. that time. Certainly a guy like him who has a kid would have a cell phone. I, I see how he was kind of trapped and when she caught on to the um, fact that Sarah and Brad are having an affair at that dinner party, mm -hmm. she didn't really confront it. She passively got her, uh, her mother involved so that he couldn't continue it when she was working, but she had an opportunity there that she didn't take. And then I, I didn't really know what else to make of her after that. It seemed um, I don't fault any one person in a, in a marriage for what's going on sexually. It seems like the child has really come between them. You know, he's trying to get in bed to right. sleep with her. Oh, but we can't move the child. That's impossible. And that's too bad. That's not an excuse for why, you know, he would go and uh, start hooking up with Kate Winslet. Right. Um, but I feel like the screenplay wants us to feel that way. Yeah. Like, oh, look, he's been rejected. Right. As if sexual unavailability for reasons we don't 100% understand, although we understand some of it is somehow equivalent to looking at weird kinky porn and having a secret. Right. Like both of those things happen in marriages 
and they're something to be discussed and to work through. And not every season of life is great with physical intimacy. Uh, what, let's have a let's have that be a part of the conversation in a film like this. Yeah. But to me, it wasn't like when Winslet and Wilson are having sex; she's enjoying it, and he says, "I feel bad." Mm-hmm. That's a real downer. Yeah. If you're in the middle of an intimate moment with someone and they say, "I feel bad about this," you, you they just continued, right? As, and didn't explore that. This movie wanted to set a whole lot of stuff up and did not want to pay off or explain or, or take it very far. It seemed like it wanted to create a stew or a mess. And maybe that's the point. Maybe it, it's a mess, but I didn't I didn't enjoy the film. I, I enjoyed seeing some of the actors. I enjoyed some of the performances. And, and it's a lovely looking movie like many of the movies we look at. They're always mm-hmm. well made and, and the cinematography is of these kind of movies is always top notch. But um yeah, I don't I don't take a lot away from this movie. Yeah, I have no idea what it was trying to say. I like it much less than I feel I liked it the first time that I saw it. I've probably grown up a bit <laughs> in uh my my own life and relationships. I feel like they had an idea to start a movie and they had a big crazy finish they wanted to bring it to and failed. And nothing that happened in the middle related where they started to where they finished to me. I'm curious to revisit uh, in the bedroom. Hmm. I don't think the novelist and writer is involved. So I wonder if that is, is the factor that makes this one troublesome. Yeah, that could be, I mean, it's screenplay was nominated for an Oscar. I can't say that I agree (laughs) with that. Um, But uh, Winslet and Haley also nominated for Oscars that year. It is not, egregious to the level of crash but i feel like it's it's that kind of a swing it wants to be a movie about suburban turmoil and and you know what's boiling under the surface of things and and confront us with realities of modern life it doesn't have the racial aspect so it doesn't stumble that badly but uh i feel like it's one of those movies that has ambitions to say a lot and then just kind of misfires yeah there was too much going on I mean, it's it's a problematic movie, and I think those are good conversations yeah. when you're trying to work it out, because it's not immediately clear. And 2006 is not long ago. In terms of social evolution, it's probably long enough ago that this is a different world we're looking at. I mean, you right. already mentioned a couple ways in which it, you know, it wouldn't be the same story today. Overall, for the most part, I feel like this movie could be made now, and it wouldn't be any better but it's not you know in some cases we can say well that's the 90s or that's the early 2000s right 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 uh i don't know if this is a a chronological issue well they don't know what they're saying about anything so it's hard to say if it would fit today all right dan well uh you're gonna be out of the picture for a couple weeks i hope you have uh great time i hope i do too and we'll uh reconvene when the last week of the month i guess so yeah so you have a couple of weeks to watch ghost world now if you, if you can't watch it till you oh. come home that's cool but uh, no i'm excited about that i've been thinking even about looking that up i've never seen it oh great oh i can't believe i didn't make you watch it right. all right dan well i wish you well have a great time we'll catch I up wish you well thank you so much <laughs> uh we've been dan and josh this is our podcast you can follow us both on twitter and letterboxd the show is at holds up pod on twitter music is by jonah rapino Thanks, Jonah. Uh, And uh, we'll check you out next time. 
Goodbye. I feel like this will be a mini-sode because yeah. I don't have much to talk about. I have. I also have no notes on the movie. <laughs> I, I'm just flying here. So I have thoughts, uh-oh, but I don't uh-oh, have notes. Uh-oh. I never have notes. I, I'm always just... But that's who I am. So I'm sure. a little worried about about the dynamic when, when you're not keeping us on track. Well, when in doubt, I'll just hurry us along. <laughs> Perfect. If it gets too bad, I'll just say it's been a you can seven follow minutes. us both on Hold Twitter up. and Letterboxd. <laughs>